a moment of remembrance for the folks that lost their lives in Christ Church on Friday. Um, this is a, a responsive prayer that I found by a uh, Christian artist and um, pastor that I follow called Justin McRoberts. Um, and this is something that he posted on Facebook yesterday. So I'm going to read the parts that are not in bold, and then we will all say, Lord, have mercy together. For the beloved souls lost to hatred and violence on Friday, Lord, have mercy. For the people they were stolen from, Lord, have mercy. For Muslim sisters and brothers who gather in faith but do so in fear, Lord, have mercy. For leaders in Muslim communities who must find wisdom and courage for this moment, Lord, have mercy. For the men whose minds are twisted with white supremacy and hatred, Lord, have mercy. For any person of faith unsure as to why this moment matters, Lord, have mercy. And God, we beg for your mercy. For the brokenness of this world that causes us to believe that some are better than others. For even if we think that in our minds, for the ways that we think that we don't think that, but yet live in such a way that is true, God, have mercy on us. God, for the embedded brokenness in each of us, God, have mercy. For the struggle and for the pain and the sorrow that is carried by millions across the globe today, Lord, have mercy. God, and I pray that we would be able to sit and lament, that we would not rush to platitudes, to fix or to smooth over that brokenness, to make it all shiny and pretty again so we could move on with our lives. But God, that we would remain. Because God, when we befriend the brokenness in our hearts and in our world, it is through that when we see with your eyes a heart of mercy and love, a heart of a savior on the cross, who says, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. God, I pray that we would not live as a people who do not know what we are doing, but God, that we would see our brokenness and that we would repent of the ways that we contribute to systems of violence against others and against ourselves and against our world that you have created. God, that we would not live in such a way that we would be seeing the world as this pie that needs to be separated, that needs to be fought over, that needs to um, cause us to hate our neighbor, to be envious of them, and to strive against them, God, but that we would embrace this all-encompassing abundance of a world that you have created of a world full of infinite love and mercy and grace and joy meant for everyone. 
Lord, help us to see through this parable today this world of abundance that we would not get stuck in these economic understandings of the world that divide us against one another, but that help us to see what it means to live outside of those systems (coughs) and in a place of something new, this kingdom that you have inaugurated. God, be with our hearts today as we ponder this text. Work something in us. God, I know that it's going to create discomfort and confusion and frustration and anger and all of those feelings that get kind of brought up because this is embedded in what we live each and every day. But Lord, help us to put that aside and to embrace what your spirit is speaking. Speak a new word over us today, God change our hearts, renew our minds, and make us yours. That's in your name we pray. Amen. I knew I should have brought the tissues up here since we have like one box now. Um, (laughs) That's okay. I heard something and I was like, what is happening? And, okay, you might have to put the screen back up. It was over on the second screen. Here we go. Now I just need to make it present. Sweet. All right, now you can see all of my cool. Go back to the title. It's okay. I have my little doodad. So I titled this talk, The Kingdom of God Isn't Fair, or is it? Because I, I think our understanding of fairness is um, Jesus aggressively goes after it in this parable today. And so I think it's a, a place that challenges us, and I want us to wrestle with that um, today. So we're going to talk about economics. All right. Here's the text. We're in Matthew 20. Um, and so this is a, embedded in a series of parables that we're, um, Jesus is using to teach. He is on the way to Jerusalem, just as we are in the season of Lent, on the way to Jerusalem to his uh, crucifixion, crucifixion and resurrection. And Jesus is using this time to stop along the way um, to teach his disciples for the most part, as well as some people that come alongside For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace and he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. Then he went out again about noon and about three o'clock He did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. 
When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, to who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Okay. So I want to set the scene for you just to give you an understanding of what was happening here. Um, there weren't really day laborers uh, before Roman times because there mostly were slaves who were owned by landowners who did all of this kind of work. But when the Romans came in, the economy in the area of Israel changed. So this new group of people called day laborers were inaugurated. In many ways, they had life worse than slaves because at least slaves were guaranteed to be able to receive food enough for each day because the landowner wanted to be able to have workers that could physically work. But when things switched around, we have day laborers that come in that are standing around in the agora, like the central um, area of commerce in the marketplace, waiting to be hired each day not knowing if they were going to be able to earn enough money to feed their family or even themselves. And this daily wage that they're talking about is essentially enough for one day. There's a lot of disagreement in the commentaries about this amount as to whether it was enough to feed an entire family for a day. Is it enough for one person for three days? I mean, it's kind of cutting things here or there. It's not a lot of money. Let's just put it that way. It's not a lot of money. And usually they're paid for piecework. So as much as they are, this is in a vineyard, so the pounds of grapes, however they are measuring the weight of those grapes, is the amount that they should be paid. Usually it's that kind of quantity of work. Um, not necessarily the quality of the work, but how much they get in. And so in this situation, you've got um, this landowner who keeps going out himself, which is kind of odd, and we talked before about in the parables, there's usually some strange oddities that are happening. And for the landowner who has a manager, it says in the text that he has a manager, it would usually be the manager who would go out and hire these day laborers, not the landowner himself. But in this story, that's what's happening. The landowner is going out to hire. And it wouldn't be totally bizarre for the landowner or whoever the manager to go out repeatedly to hire people. And I think when we read this story, we think that's strange because we figure the, the person who has a, a job to be done generally knows how many folks do they need to do this job and they hire them first off and then the rest of the folks that are left will eventually leave after a couple of hours. Because even now, if you show up at Home Depot or Lowe's in um, more populated areas of our country, there are day laborers that are there waiting to be hired by contractors. In Florida, I used to do that actually. I'd go there early in the morning. Yep. I might get speed. 
bring your tools, you get picked up. But you probably didn't stick around that long in the morning if you didn't get hired. <laughs> so this story is different. Because you've got these folks that are waiting because if they do not work, they do not eat. They are going to wait all day. And for the, the taking in of the harvest in the vineyard, um, the rain in this area of the world, it gets, it's really dry and then they have a rainy season and they have to get the grapes in before the rainy season comes or else the, the crop will be destroyed. So they could be out working in the fields and realize that they need to get all of this crop in this day because it seems like the rains are coming and they need to do the work now. So people from the, the vineyards could go back to the agora and keep hiring people throughout the day. Um, those folks know that they're not necessarily guaranteed any kind of payment that would be like a full day's wage. They would just be expecting to get paid whatever, and they're desperate. They just want to get something because they don't want to die of starvation, which is a reality for these types of folks. They didn't have a very long life expectancy overall in this culture, and the day laborers had the lowest life expectancy. Okay, so you kind of get that picture of what it's like for the day laborers. Um, what's interesting is that it's likely that they wouldn't ever have a conversation with the landowner. Those are two very different classes of people. And so in this story, Jesus brings them together, though they would generally be separated. Um, and on some level, these folks are negotiating for their payment, which is unusual. This is different. Okay, so. The next major thing that happens here is payment. So the rich landowner decided to pay everyone the same amount. Obviously, like I said before, this is really unusual. Generally, people are paid for the amount of work that they did. Um, it might be strange for them to be paid for the amount of hours that they worked, because generally it was for the amount of quantity of something that they produced. Um, What's interesting to me is that one of the verses there at the end, I'm going to jump back to it. Um, so, whoa, how did that happen? Can you fix that for me, Ben? <laughs> I was like, I just pressed the laser pointer thing, and then it jumped all over. So can you go to, the, like, the last um, section of verses? I'll try not to. Yeah. So at the end, you see... Um, it's like, it's actually verse 15b. So are you envious because I am generous? There's a lot of com com conversation and commentaries about what does it mean? Uh, because the Greek literal translation here is, is your eye evil because I am good? And I think the transla translators pulled that out of there because we don't understand so much the concept of the evil eye and the way that folks in the Mediterranean basin understood it. Uh, I think when Eric and I visited Greece, I got a little bit more of a deeper understanding about the idea of the evil eye, because I'm telling you, these eye talismans were everywhere, and like in every tourist shop. Um, if any of you go to the Middle East, to Greece, to Turkey, you will see them all over. And I thought they were super creepy. I'm like, who wants this like blue eye thing, like as a keychain or a button or however, whatever you put it on. It's usually something that you carry with you. Um, it comes from the idea that there's a fixed amount of good in the world 
So whenever you come into good fortune, someone will inevitably curse you so that you will lose your good for fortune and they will then have good fortune. Okay, so it's, it's this idea, and Jesus is, is leaning into that idea. Is your eye evil because I am good? Are you looking at that landowner with the evil eye because he has taken something that you think is yours? He's taken an opportunity that you think is yours. So it's almost as if the workers are preying on each other. Well, this guy didn't work as long as I worked, so therefore they shouldn't get that full amount, or I should get more because they got that full amount that I was agreed upon that I should get. And so it's all this infighting amongst the folks that should be celebrating that every single person got enough to be able to eat that day. But they're missing the point. Is your eye evil because I am good? And so I want to question for a minute this concept that the NRSV translates as the landowner being generous. Do you think he was actually being what you would call generous? And why? Let's talk about it. I heard, I saw some nodding heads. Because they didn't do much work, but they got paid like they did all, all okay, So you're talking about those that were hired like towards the end that didn't do as much. Okay. Um, I'm noticing a lot with that with employees right now that, you know, I'm trying to do the best I can and I pay them every day, but they, they kind of see, this is what the difference is, they kind of see what I'm making and they, they think they deserve more than, than you know, and I mean, it, it's like if you went to Walmart, you make nine, 10, 12 bucks an hour, but you go get mad at the guy who owns Walmart because he makes millions of dollars? I mean, not that that's happening with me or anybody else in this room, but I kind of I see that's where it's kind of going. That the generosity doesn't get you nowhere. Would that would I be right on that? I don't think there's necessarily like a right or wrong answer. I think it's all the perspective that you sit in, the place, the loc the location where you're at, and where you're looking at it from. Well, I mean, yeah. Well, I guess that's where I'm looking at it from. But I mean, if you know, you don't go get mad at your boss because he's got a company or, I, I, and I'm just saying, you know, you don't get mad at somebody when you go to work every day because they're making more money than you, and that's what it sounds like. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Chase? I mean, I would have guessed if he was generous, it would make more sense to me that he would still pay everyone proportional to the way they work, mm -hmm. but just pay them more. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the day laborers would get two or three days wages and then you know the people at the end of the day would get a whole day's wage mm -hmm. so it's a little weird that he didn't that it's not kind of uniformly generous gotcha right <laughs> chase should be teaching this lesson today okay um i view that he's generous because he didn't just go out once to hire people he went out all day long to hire people i would say that's being generous instead of only giving 